Welcome to a limited series podcast from wealthmanagement.com. What financial advisors need to know about ESG rating systems. Let's jump right into this week's episode. Hello and welcome. Today we have a special guest and that is Claire Vute, and she is the director of ESG and Impact at Open Invest. Good afternoon. How are you? Great, thanks. Davis, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Thanks, Eric. All right. You brought Claire on. Why is Claire on the show today? Well, I heard Claire speak on online, and I uh, have followed some of her multifaceted pathway through what has become this very well-known topic, at least in, in colloquial terms, of ESG investing. Uh, she's got a lot of experience, and, and I, I thought maybe I'd just ask you to say a few words about your background, Claire. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to be here, Davis. I've played a lot of roles in ESG investing, and that's really where I've spent my whole career. I've been in some research roles, uh, researching companies for ESG rating companies. I've sold the research. Um, I joined an investment team and used the research for our investment purposes. And right now, as you know, I'm, in, I'm at Open Invest, and I'm responsible for the ESG component of our tech product. Um, I also run marketing and PR. Uh, I really try to ensure we're providing ESG for humans and not just for ESG or investing mm-hmm. wonks, of which there are more and more. Um, <laughs> and a, a final note, our mission at Open Invest is really to try to democratize access to customized investing, um, including customization based on ESG elements, which is why my experience is relevant. Um, since access to customization is is currently pretty ring-fenced and mostly accessible mm-hmm. just to the very wealthy. Right. And I think that probably gives our audience a great understanding of why I wanted Claire to be on the show. And with that note, I guess we could really start at the, the very basic level. What to you, and I guess to Open Invest, what is ESG investing? How would you define that? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, as I'm sure you know, ESG is a, while it sounds really wonky and has gotten to be, I, I we often use the the term impact investing, but broadly I'd say um, so ESG stands for environmental, social, and governance. Um, and the reason it's those three words is that there are issues that by and large have been left out traditionally of um, fundamental-based financial investing or fundamental mm-hmm. analysis. Right. So we define it as investing with the intention to generate a beneficial social or environmental impact alongside financial returns. So it's traditional investing with the intention to take into account factors that historically have been left out in the investment process. That's very helpful. And since majority of our, our audience here is made up of financial advisors, what would you say that advisors really need to know about ESG rating systems? And that's that's a real big part of why I've done this episode and the previous one is I I think there's an absence generally of of straightforward information for advisors on on that topic a lot of times. Mm, absolutely. I think ESG investing has become a real area of specialization, which means as is often the case in our industry, there's a lot of jargon. Um, I think how I would recommend um, advisors think about ESG ratings is really as an additional tool to their process. So how I would recommend advisors use ESG ratings is is as an additional element to their investment process, right? If they're looking at company-level ratings, um, then they should use those alongside their traditional factors. So if it's a, a credit rating, if they're looking at an issue or um, PE metrics or whatever um, ratios they prefer in their own investment process. Um, 
Many advisors also look at ESG ratings at the fund level, and those are often aggregations of the company level ratings um, that a, that an aggregator has put together for consumption by advisors. So Morningstar does this based on Sustainalytics data. Um, MSCI has also rolled out fund level ratings, um, and those will again give a bit of a flavor of how, based on one of these third parties, and the, the cases I've mentioned are Sustainalytics and MSCI, um, how this fund performs in some way based on ESG elements. So are the companies in this fund doing a good job of reporting on their environmental, social, and governance um, impact practices and policies? Um, reporting is a big piece of it. It's not the only one, but it is a, a dominant factor in, in the rating systems. Um, there's, a, there's an additional element, which is not always comfortable to talk about, but um, investment folks sometimes forget that they still need to use their brains to understand these ESG elements. Um, especially if they're going to rely only on one rating system, they need to understand them enough to know what the ratings mean. So um, advisors and others sometimes get pretty wound up when all the rating agencies don't rate the same companies in the same way. But I don't think anyone has a fit when Moody's and S&P give slightly different credit ratings to new issues, as long as they're largely pointing in the, right, in the same direction, right? They are familiar with those uh, ratings and they have a sense of what it means when Fitch rates an issue as X and um, S&P rates, rates and issues why, and ESG rating systems are, are essentially a little bit younger and frankly less conflicted um, than traditional credit rating, credit rating agencies. So I think it's only normal that you'd get a little bit of dissonance, but um, in order for advisors to get comfortable with the dissonance, they do have to do a little bit of homework and dive into the, the methodology of these ratings um, and understand really what those numbers or scores are telling them. Yeah, I have noticed that a few advisors that I've talked to who are sort of just dipping their toe into really getting an understanding, I guess, largely with questions from their clients are a bit not sure where to begin. And that would throw them for a loop if if they're not, you know, if they do see um, big differences in how the various ratings agencies and or researches is looking at a particular investment or fund, et cetera. Yeah, it's definitely understandable. Well, along those similar lines, the segue would be for me, what, uh, you know, the advisors need to understand the rating systems themselves, but what do you think are the most important things that they need to convey to investors about ESG? Because I also think there's sort of a surfacey, I think, I think there's a, a wide range of understanding among investors themselves about what ESG actually is. What, what do you think is most important for the advisor to be able to pass on to the client, the investor mm. about ESG? Yeah, good question. There's a couple of elements. One I'd say is uh, important for advisors to understand, and and I think this will come out in their conversations with their clients, is um, talking about ESG elements is really a way to get to know your client better and make sure you're serving them well, especially in this day and age when you have a lot of robo-advisors. Essentially, every major bank has either developed one or partnered with one off the shelf. Um, and advisors increasingly have to compete with bots, right, for their services, or at least for some component of the service. So there's a lot that humans could do that um, algorithms and machines can't do. Um, but asset allocation isn't, at this point, really one of them. It's really the human component of understanding your client best, getting a sense of what they value, what they care about, what's what matters to them, and how that's reflected in their financial life. Um, so we really see ESG as a, as a, a great touch point in that sense, um, and an excuse to, to get away from the charts and numbers that their clients may not be very excited about, right? I know 
some folks I know who work with financial advisors receive an email or something in the mail every quarter, which they never look at until they meet their advisor once a year and kind of like slog through these 20 pages of um, charts and text that, you know, largely go over their head. I think ESG can be a segue to, to talking about things that are a little closer to their heart and, and really meaningful to them. Actually, um, that's, that's great because a lot of advisors talk about, well, we need more of these touch points. And uh, my, my understanding from talking to some, especially the older advisors, that often they, they are kind of intimidated by this idea of ESG, but it could be a good kind of icebreaker conversation, it sounds like. Absolutely. I think it's also a great, and this has, this has said a lot, but um, I think it's also a great touch point and a way to connect with the next generation. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a fair bit of research that shows that millennials, um, specifically, but women more generally across age ranges are more interested than the average in ESG investing or some element of impact investing. And you can see that, um, in the numbers, the research that's done that tries to scope out the size of the market. So global sustainable investing has reached based on some estimates, more than 30 trillion globally and investors who integrate ESG elements um, or at least investment shops that that integrate it represent something like 17 trillion. So, and that has grown a ton in the last 15 or or so years. Um, so, I think there's a huge opportunity there beyond client retention. I think it's also a great tool for um, acquisition and growing their book, which I'm pretty sure every advisor is interested in. Absolutely, and that that's interesting too because you know we we're constantly in the media talking about the great wealth transfer, and uh, I think too often. Advisors these days don't necessarily think far ahead about how to talk to the children of their clients, uh, which could be a pretty, pretty bad thing if, uh, if their um, ages, the advisor and the client are pretty close and both are kind of inching towards retirement and mm-hmm. near future. They need, need to have some, some means of uh, a good conversation to have with the children. So, so possibly this is a good subject to maybe bring up. Are your kids interested in ESG investing mm-hmm. aren't. Okay. I'd add, um, there's, there is research that shows that clients are, um, more likely to change advisors when, uh, there's an intergenerational transfer of wealth, but also, um, within the same generation. So again, traditionally advisors have worked mainly with men who historically have been the kind of financial stewards of a family's wealth. Um, and what we've seen happen, I've seen it anecdotally, but again, there's research backing this up is that, uh, wives and widows often realize when they become the ultimate, um, decision maker that the advisor wasn't really, um, listening to them. And they'll often change to someone that they feel is a little bit more in line with what they're, what they're looking for, both in a, in a tone and in a, um, results point of view. So you know, not to, not to scare advisors, but I think it's not only an opportunity for gain, but it's also a risk management, um, tool for, for your business to make sure that the, you know, your current clients don't walk out. That is a great point. That is a great point. And there have been some very startling, uh, surveys done to show that the, the wives of, of, uh, a client who have passed away, that they are, it's anywhere from 60 to 75, 80% Mm -hmm. say they will change advisors. Very good point, Claire. I'm sure none of the advisors think that they're in the 60 to 75%. But Yes, I, I think you're right. I think you're right, having talked to many of them. Well, moving on, what when it comes to ESG and SRI, what, what are some of the most misunderstood aspects? Uh, oh, man. For advisors and uh, maybe, maybe investors, but I guess start with advisors. 
the most, um, the by far the biggest, most important one, and this is across the board, is the assumption of concessionary returns. Um, I think most people still assume that integrating environmental, social, and governance issues into the investment process requires accepting that you will not do as well and and get sub-market returns. There's been a lot of academic research on this, and the answers are fairly clear. Unfortunately, the industry hasn't really picked up on, on those answers and still leans on some pretty basic theoretical assumptions. So based on multiple pretty focused studies assessing exactly this question, as well as a number of meta-studies that have looked at, you know, the tens or hundreds of studies that have been done on it, investing according to ESG principles doesn't significantly impact returns either way. So neither positively nor negatively. Uh, And again, this is on average. So uh, maybe a last point is that even if ESG investing doesn't support outperformance, the finding that using ESG elements doesn't depress returns is is pretty remarkable. Mm. It means that it's free. Right. So why wouldn't? So why not? Exactly. It? Right. It it it's a bit like buying um, some item of clothing off the shelf two sizes too large when the right size for you is right next to it and at the same price. You're just not picking the thing that would be a better fit for you for frankly no good reason. Uh, that is an excellent point as well. Um, and I guess that's one that uh, I have seen it either often dismissed or not looked at to uh, a great deal of depth. Um, this aspect of, of performance. And when it comes to this, do you, do you see any differences in active versus passive management? Just as sort of an aside, is that something hmm. you guys looked at at all? Uh, interesting. I would say that ESG has really, really started out by and large in equities in active in active management. Uh, Open Invest is is a passive manager, so we're we're taking a slightly different approach. And I think the implementation then is is fairly different. You're looking for something different from your data sources. Um, I'd say active management. I wouldn't say ES, active ESG management is fundamentally different from active management. I think uh, the reasons a manager might decide to to lean into um, a position versus another might be more based on ESG, but it might also be based on on fundamental reasons or some um, combination of the two. Um, but it, it's clear to me that different styles of investing actually are the more relevant differentiation between um, between investment managers versus whether or not they do ESG. Interesting. Okay. You want to break that down just a little bit, styles of investing? How? Yeah, absolutely. So I think... Um, so. Active management based on ESG elements, or even not even based on, but including ESG elements, will, you know, by and large, take a relatively small number of concentrated positions, and is is making a those managers are making a, a heavier bet essentially that they've picked winners and they're going to do better than the market. Um, many of those base it on ESG if that's part of how um, they want to market themselves into. Um, what their investment process actually looks like. Um, so th- those managers will typically claim, look, we'll do better one because we have great fundamental analysis. And also because we take into this, inf- we take into account this information that isn't well understood by the market. And it therefore gives us an advantage in picking better names on the passive side. So at least that open invest, um, the, the fundamental philosophy is very different. Uh, most passive investors don't 
purport or try or say that they will beat the market. The point is to match the market. And then um, the challenge is really in, in great execution and in, in matching the market, right? Um, and doing it typically at, at low cost because fees obviously into returns. And if um, you're hiring an active manager, humans are expensive, which means that there's a kind of necessary bite out of your returns, whatever they are, that goes to pay the people who are doing that work. Right. On the passive side, uh, what you're looking for is less a uh, very deep dive of companies to allow you to pick winners and more um, good, solid coverage. Uh, so it's more about breadth than depth, in my view. Mm. Um, and then I think the the difference or the advantage of an, any fund manager will really lie in um, their technology, essentially. Again, the the operation, operish, oh, sorry, <laughs> it will it will lie in the operationalization of um, matching the market, right? So at Open Invest, we have an, a, a proprietary optimizer that trades off ESG and tracking error. So tracking error is a measure of risk. It's essentially volatility relative to the reference index. And what we'll show clients is, look, for a little bit more tracking error, so a little bit more movement around um, the reference index performance, we'll get you this much more ESG based on the things that you've told us you care about that fit into your bucket of ESG. Okay. Well, when I started to think about this and look into ESG rating systems, I really came across three big ones. Uh, and really only two, I guess, have what I would call market share and another another one being Bloomberg. So the two that I was most familiar with are MSCI and uh, Sustainalytics and then Bloomberg. But I, I, I think that you would have to have a Bloomberg box uh, a one of their screens to be able to access it. Does that sound accurate? Yeah, correct. That's right. Okay. But when it, when it comes to the, are there other, any other major systems or, or, um, hmm. um, Thomson Reuters, similar to Bloomberg does a bit of everything. So provides a lot of data. Um, MSCI and Sustainalytics are really the preeminent players in terms of creating their own rating systems. I think right. what Thomson and, Bloomberg do is is funnel through the ESG data that companies are already providing, but not always with a ton of context or um, certainly no weighting, which I think both Sustainalytics and MSCI really try to do is place more weight on the sub-elements of ESG that they consider most relevant to the company. What would you say are some of the strengths and weaknesses of, of the various offerings out there? So... Um, as with many people and things, the weaknesses are really the flip side of their strengths. And I'd say these main ESG rating systems, which you which you named, um, have built their ratings based on a very detailed evaluation of every company in their universe. There's often hundreds of data points. Um, by and large, their systems exist because historically there has not been a standard way of understanding which ESG issues matter for which companies. So these companies have essentially made up their own systems over decades and refined them and improved them and tested them. Um, but they've essentially created those um, that hierarchy of, of issues. Um, so the, the plus is that they're based on really deep granular research. They have systems, armies of analysts who pour through reports and, and identify exactly the sub-sub-metric that they've considered relevant for a company in this sub-industry and in this region. Um, the flip side of that is that it often makes the top line score pretty hard to understand. So Sustainalytics has historically scored out of 100. MSCI has moved to something that looks more like a bond rating. Um, 
But without a bit more context, it, it's really hard to know if a 56 is actually that much worse than a 62. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, often they'll provide a little bit of distrib- distribution and context, but it's the top line score um, also gets a little diluted by the sheer number of data points included. So good, bad things might average out somewhere. And I think we can say with some confidence that that's not what happens in the public eye. So Johnson and Johnson right now is just an example is being pummeled for its inv- involvement in the opioid crisis. It's obviously not the only facet of the company, but it's pretty hard to ignore right now. And the fact that they have really great CSR reporting and lots of women on their board, like doesn't seem super relevant in this particular moment. You're not going to see that reflected in an MSCI or sustainalytics report. Maybe it shouldn't be right. Maybe they're meant to be more neutral kind of longer term assessments. Um, but it, it, they're, these systems are often not responsive enough to issues that will take on um, a really big weight, even if it's just for a moment, um, because they're meant to compare thousands of companies across industries, market caps, um, regions, governance systems, etc. So I think this is why the industry gets really wonky. Like you need to have a ton of context in your head to really have a deep understanding of what a 56 based on sustainalytics means. So that's what I'd say is the, again, the plus and the minus. Like they've done a ton of work to create something really thoughtful, reflective, but the problem is it's kind of complicated and it's not really intuitive what those, what the results mean. Um, well, that's actually a good segue to to what I kind of have as my last kind of major question here. Um, the whole notion of of AI and especially machine learning and and being able to analyze unstructured data, I, I've read where that could have a big, uh, meaningful um, amount of leverage on how these systems evolve over time. What do you find that's the case? That um, taking into account what things like what you said about Johnson and Johnson, which um, without having the ability to do that and, and using more of a qualitative analyst, human-driven approach to doing this rather than, or in addition to sort of having AI be able to crawl out there and take in data uh, across of, you know, whether it's just what's being said in the media, but also maybe um, from reports uh, in scientific circles, et cetera. Uh, is that something that's going to be finding its way into the systems as they are now, or do you think that's going to really come from new offerings out there? Hmm. I and think what is, what, what is the, do you think the, that there is an importance to looking at unstructured data for these systems? Yeah, good question. I think AI and, and machine learning, of course, will, will impact this space. Um, a lot of picking good stocks, um, either for passive management or active management, even, you know, creating indices has been based on historically human judgment, right? Processes that are codified, et cetera, but machines are way better at doing that than, than we are, certainly at a large-scale systematic way. So it seems inevitable that there will be more AI and machine learning used to, to teach the AI to do it better, or at least, um, yeah, better than most of us would. Uh, I think you touched on something really important is I think the combination of the human and AI is going to be what's most most relevant. So I mentioned the armies of analysts that are employed by um, mostly Sustainalytics and, and MSCI and a couple of other providers that exist. Um, the reason it's still largely done by humans is that ESG data isn't, um, isn't very standardized. It's largely unregulated, which means that while certainly in the U.S. and in large cap companies around the world, um, 
CSR, ESG, sustainability reports are more and more common. So there is data, which there wasn't always the case. Uh, it's disclosed how and when companies want and the frequency that they want on the issues that they want. And often it's not made for investors. Um, you know, half of the report is typically made for employees, for communities, for a regulator. And it doesn't say that on the on the tin, right? It doesn't say CSR report for regulators. But if you look at it, it's largely stories. It's not data. There's no comparisons. It's really, um, it can be a little light or a, a mix of um, data and stories, which is understandable, but not extremely useful for investors. So what that means is that you you still need humans to go in and, and dig up very non-standard data and put it into a standard rating system or, or a slightly more standardized rating system. Um, there, there are a couple ways that that could change, right? So if, if it becomes regulated or required or, or pseudo-regulated that companies all disclose the same sets of issues in the same way, which sidebar is exactly what SASB is trying to do. So the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, which is a, meant to emulate FASB, but for sustainability information, um, then AI will be great at this, or even existing scraping systems will be great because the data will be standard and it will just um, be easy to absorb and, and process in the same way that traditional financial statements are right now. Um, but as, as we alluded to, there's information that happens or that comes out, you know, in the press or in, in ways that are non-standard that I think are um, especially relevant in this subfield for ESG issues because ESG, like the acronym of ESG is essentially a catch-all for, again, everything that doesn't fit on the financial statements, which could be a huge <laughs> set of issues, right? Like right, right. 10 years ago, cybersecurity, it wasn't clear if that was an ESG issue. It's pretty clear it is now. I think in five years, it's just going to be a financial issue. And I, there isn't necessarily a hard border between ESG and financial. Don't that, you know? That's certainly not what I think. But governance, corporate governance, like wasn't a thing in the '80s, or at least not as important a thing as it is now. It's now obviously an ESG issue. But but even folks who don't think ESG is interesting know that corporate governance is relevant for their investment process. So a lot of things will migrate from the edges into. Um, I think ESG is sort of this outer border, and then uh, as the topics become more relevant as like the problems and the solutions become more widespread, then they just migrate into traditional financial data. And I think um, AI will have a lot to do with accelerating that process. There are a couple of providers that have focused on trying to structure and make sense of unstructured data out there. Um, are they the only ones who are going to help solve this? No, as I mentioned, there's a couple of, there are a couple of ways that that could happen, but I'm sure the combination of all these forces will, um, yeah, will mean that, we'll have a better, firmer sense of, of ESG data in a couple of years, however we get there. Mm. I've heard of some very large institutions that, pro, that that have access to all of the above for, I guess, kind of, you know, on any given investment or any mm -hmm. particular type of client, they're going to um, look at everything. Is, is that probably beyond the realm of most retail financial advisors being oh, able yeah. to access? So they're going to have to yeah. really choose probably one and, and go with it. Yeah, for sure. Or, you know, Begbar and Steel see use a, a platform they already use that might also offer some sustainability data. Actually, um, Yahoo Finance has some sustainability metrics, so those are free. Mm -hmm. um, they're, they're, and there are increasingly, increasingly more of those. You mentioned Bloomberg, Thompson, um, both of those offer their ESG data as part of the standard set, right? So if you have a Bloomberg terminal, you have access to a lot of ESG data that's labeled as such. Bloomberg has very helpfully built some ratios for you. Um, it doesn't rate them or tell you 
which ones they think matters the most. That's not what Bloomberg does, but uh, there is a lot already at your fingertips if you if you want to dive in. I think that if you want to dive in is a pretty um, significant <laughs> caveat. Like advisors are really stretched. There's a ton that they're being asked to do. Technology is another big ask and a big change in their industry. So um, I can understand advisor reluctance to like really dive in and, and understand all this data. Um, but I think there's a little bit required in order to use one of these tools well. Right. Well, Claire, I, I think we're about at the end of our time. Uh, I really want to thank you for uh, talking with us today and helping unpack this pretty complex, but uh, I think very important aspect of investing that's actually only going to become more important as we move forward. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Davis. Guys, this was great. I learned a ton. And uh, the ESG has always been very interesting to me. So just sitting back and listening to you guys go back and forth was was awesome. Thank you so much, Claire, for coming on the show. Uh, you're a wonderful guest. Thank you. Thanks so much. You bet. And Davis, thank you for bringing her. That's that's for sure. Yeah. Thanks. And thank you all for listening. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Davis comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your colleagues. Thanks again for listening today. For everyone at wealthmanagement.com, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the wealthmanagement.com podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available.